Welcome to a Neon Jazz interview with a real journeyman jazz guy and educator in the Kansas City scene today, along with being a very talented trumpeter and flugelhornist, Mr. Stanton Kessler. During the course of our candid interview, Stanton talks about his roots, the bands he has been in over the many years he's been here in Kansas City, the jazz cats he digs the most, the vibrant Kansas City jazz scene going strong in 2013, and many more with some surprises. Dig it. Hello? Stan. Yes. Joe Domino. You're right on time. The sirens are going off. <laughs> I won the game show prize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. How you, how you doing? Good. How are cool. you? I'm great, man. You ready to go? I am. All right. Let's start off first thing at the Alpha. Where were you born and raised? I was born here in Kansas City uh, and raised here in Kansas City. I'm, I'm kind of a freak in that way. I'm <laughs> hometown boy and, and never left for any extended period of time. So when did you first start playing an instrument? Uh, eighth grade. Or no, excuse me, fourth grade when I was eight. And what'd you play? Trumpet. Why? Why'd you pick the trumpet? Uh, well, I, I actually started out on cornet because it was smaller and <laughs> easier to play. Sure. Um, I wanted to play an instrument, and it was down to trumpet or violin, and believe it or not, what inspired me to play trumpet was hearing uh, this song by Al Hurt on the radio, which was a huge instrumental hit on AM radio back when there was such a thing. Sure. And uh, it was this stupid song called Sugar Lips. <laughs> I know it. Do you know it? Yeah. You know, like this. Um Yes. And and then followed by, uh, what was it, uh, there were two other tunes that, that he had hits on after that that were almost the same damn tune. Sure. <laughs> so anyway, it was just, that was it. And and then I started, and I bought a couple of his records and realized what a virtuoso he was. And um, uh, then from, you know, then it was just other people uh, after that, Doc Severinsen, and then I started... Uh, buying real jazz records, uh, like Cannibal Adderley Quintet, stuff like that, and, and started listening to Nate Adderley and or Nat Adderley and uh, and then Miles and you know uh, Clifford Brown and Freddie Hubbard and so on, and I was hooked. Absolutely, you had the serum. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So talk to me about your family. How do they influence your musical pursuits? My grandfather was in a troop of men in World War One. This was the precursor to the USO. They didn't really have an official name, but um, a bunch of guys that went around and, to entertain the troops, put on shows, uh, and then he sort of remained kind of a frustrated vaudevillian. He didn't really uh, have the the know-how or to, to really follow through and actually become a vaudeville star, but he had he had the passion for it. And that kind of carried over to my dad. Um, my mom was a being groomed as a concert pianist when she was, oh, young, and uh, she was quite good. In fact, we have some old records um, of her playing uh, you know, concertos and stuff. And um, 
then when she hit uh, her teens, she kind of lost interest in that and uh, like a lot of people do, got interested in, in boys. So <laughs> <laughs> things kind of took a left turn there. But she always uh, remained, uh, you know, uh, an avid listener. And, and up until when I was uh, probably in my 20s, she still played a little piano. Um, so when uh, my brothers and I decided to take up instruments, they, my parents were very, very supportive. Um, and they made us practice. Mm-hmm. Like, well, if we're going to spend the money on your lessons, you're going to practice every day. Sure. And uh, so I have two younger brothers. One played trombone and one plays drums. So that was a... There was a lot of support. Absolutely. For, for the uh, for music. So... Talk to me about the bands that you're involved with. We got the uh, the quartet, the Sons of Brazil. Talk to me about what you're involved with now, and kind of over the years, talk about some of the bands you've been in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, right now, I have uh, the Sons of Brazil, which has been together for 23 years, and still rolling along, playing gigs and cranking out, uh, you know, Brazilian jazz. I have uh, a new band called Parallax, which uh, involves two drummers, uh, Ryan Lee and Brian Stever, uh, young guys who went to UMKC together and, and were best friends and roommates for a while and so forth. Um, that's a quintet. We're playing new music, mostly. Um, I have a band called Horoscope, which is a Horace Silver tribute band. That's a quintet. Uh, then... I have the Stan Kessler Quartet, which plays basically standards, and uh, the quartet can be a trio or a duo. So that's that's my lineup right now. I've uh, played in every kind of band you can think of, uh, rock bands. Back in the 70s, it was rock and roll and uh, funk, and I was always in some rock band, usually playing non-top 40 music uh, alternative if you will as they call it now but um, well we were we, we'd be playing stuff like Little Feet or or um, you know Ohio Players or stuff like that when mm-hmm. uh, back in the in the 70s around here and I think in most places the, the way that a lot of musicians made a good uh, living was playing top 40 several nights a week mm-hmm. and there were tons of clubs and restaurants that had bands and a lot of them were, were uh, had dance floors and you know you could dance or whatever but there were just tons of places around and there were um, a few agents with these stables of bands that would just rotate around I didn't and, and a lot of these bands had killer players in them uh, but I didn't want to do that uh, so I worked part-time jobs and played played less but I played in bands that played music that I was more attracted to, and uh, and original music bands as well. Uh, there was a band called Hot Foot, which was one of the best bands around back then. Um, then in the 80s, uh, I started playing more jazz gigs and putting together other groups. I had a band called Eight Ball. Mm-hmm. That was an eight-piece band that played stuff like uh, Sons of Chaplin and Everything from like 
Sam and Dave, the sons of Champlin, to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, and, uh, but then, uh, you know, the, the, the dance bands and the rock bands started to drop off a little bit, and this town became more of a jazz town again. And so I started, I played at the point uh, two nights a week and then four nights a week at the point. Mm-hmm. With a quartet, uh, in, which included, uh, among other people, Steve Cardness on guitar, who's kind of a big deal right now. Mm-hmm. You know, he's playing with some heavies around the world, and um, um, then I was in a band in the '80s, probably the best dance band I've ever played in, and maybe ever heard. Tell <laughs> you the truth, mm-hmm. a band called. Baby Leroy, which had some guys in it that I still play with. I mean, it was Doug Allwater on drums and Gary Helm on bass, who now plays percussion in the Sons of Brazil, and um, Jimmy Dykes uh, was one of the singers, and uh, Becky Reed was a singer, and it, it, we, we would play places like Blaney's and Pack the Place and, and uh, other places around town. Uh, like the Walverson or Parody Hall or whatever. Sure. And then and some traveling in the region. Mm-hmm. And uh, that band was just so great. But um, after a while, I got kind of burnt out on that scene, you know, mm-hmm. the dance, the, the sort of, uh, I hate to say it, but <laughs> places that smell like beer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when you walk in to set up, and it's like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody's even there. And yeah. <laughs> all the bar was enough to just like, wow, this is uh, not pleasant. Yeah. You know, once you start playing, you forget about all that stuff. So, uh, then I don't know, I don't want to leave anybody out. I'm trying to think here. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not bragging, but I've held, I've been in a lot of groups and had and led a lot of groups. One of the things about um, oh, there was a band called the Flat Five, which is really kind of the first band that I, first jazz band that I led, uh, the Stan Kessler and the Flat Five. That uh, had Bob Bowman and Steve Cardenas and Paul Smith and uh, Ron Vincent on drums, who ended up playing with Jerry Mulligan. And that was a band that was bequeathed to me by Gary Sybils. This was uh, late 70s. Yeah. So... Uh, and I was kind of scared to death. I was, for a number of reasons. One, I'd never led a band like, you know, like that. And two, I felt like I was the worst player in the band. <laughs> like, what am I doing with these guys? <laughs> oh, Dave Brandon was on, on, uh, on saxes. He's in New York now. So, um, yeah, it was a time to learn and a time to grow and, and get my ass kicked, which was good. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, and there was, uh, after Baby Leroy, it was, uh, oh, salsa groups. I started playing a lot of salsa bands, which mm-hmm. was a blast. Sure. There was a killer band here in town called uh, Sentencion Caribe, uh, so it was like a nine or ten piece band, <clears throat> four horns, and, you know, great singers and great percussionists and great rhythm section. That band was a hoot, and then that band actually uh, evolved or de- devolved, maybe is the right word, uh, 
broke up and then kind of reformed with some of the same guys uh, under uh, um, uh, Michael DeLeon, who's still around Kansas City playing his ass off and having fun, you know, doing salsa gigs. Sure. That that band was called Mambo X, and then that was was great. I mean, salsa music was so much fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... Uh, a bolt of lightning hit me uh, from above, and that was uh, Brazilian music. And even though um, I had heard Brazilian music way back in high school, we all did, you know, and with Getz and Gilberto and, and Jobim albums in the late 50s. I mean, that was the Bossa Nova thing was, was big. But in 91... Uh, our drummer Doug Allwater, the drummer in Sense of Brazil, uh, took his first trip to Rio de Janeiro and came back with uh, an armload of recordings and fake books um, that just kind of blew our minds. To tell you the truth, we were already playing together as a quartet, myself and and um, and Doug and Danny Embry and Greg Whitfield, and Doug made us a compilation of his favorite tunes from these recordings and we just kind of all looked at each other and said well let's have a band that plays this music and try to sound like brazilians sure that was the key try to try to sound authentic yeah and maybe we'll get a few gigs yeah <laughs> and so i mean that band has succeeded beyond our our wildest uh, expectations so cool. we're still doing it very cool so you're also a teacher too. You have a position at UMKC in Missouri Western. What, what what does teaching mean to you? Um, right now, it's it's something I really enjoy doing. It's uh, it's a way for me uh, to to pass on what I what I think I know. But um, I just feel like teaching in a different way than, than performance is a way to maybe make the planet a better place in some way. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if somebody, uh, I love passing on what I know to somebody who is passionate about it and, and then when they get excited, you know, and watching somebody grow is, and being somewhat responsible for that is, it's just so exciting and so fulfilling. The, the funny thing is I, I resisted it for years because I didn't think I had anything to say and I, would, I, didn't, I wasn't organized. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a system. And so I, I, rather than teach, I would work part-time jobs. Mm-hmm. And since my, my father was a grocer and I grew up in the grocery business, then oftentimes that's where I would end up in a grocery store or a health food store or whatever. But finally got tired of stocking, uh, stocking groceries and going to gigs tired. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so I decided to give it a shot. And after about a year of learning, you know, what I wanted to, what I, learning, first of all, I realized I had a lot more to say than I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, getting myself organized and getting a system going. And I'm, I mostly teach jazz improvisation and theory, um, but I, you know, some trumpet 
uh, instruction always ends up being part of it. Although I've had every instrument come to me. I mean, I had I've taught drummers and guitar players and bass players and piano players come have come to me uh, because it's really the same stuff for for anybody as far as the the theory and the and the, the way to approach improvisation doesn't really matter what instrument you play. So sure. Uh, but I really like it. Um, it just makes me feel like I'm doing something yeah. <laughs> worthwhile, I guess, you know? Absolutely. It just, it just does. It's, and I remember what it was like when I had teachers that inspired me and helped me. And so you don't forget that, you know? Absolutely. So other than Kansas City, obviously, where have you performed at around the country and around the world? I just did a trip to uh, Paraguay last September. Uh, it was a jazz festival in uh, the capital, Asocion. I went with Joe Cartwright and his quartet, and that was uh, an amazing experience. Um, really good festival, really great people. Um, I played in Europe, but it wasn't really a jazz gig. I went there with the Youth Symphony of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1969, I know I'm really dating myself now, <laughs> but uh, um, played a little bit in Chicago. Played uh, in Spokane several times, uh, jazz festival there, and you know all over the region here in the Midwest, Lincoln, Omaha, Columbia, St. Louis, um, of course Lawrence, and so on, uh, Wichita. Um, don't travel as much as a lot of other people do. Mm-hmm. I kind of like it here. Sure. I like uh, uh, sleeping in my own bed. And <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. I, a lot of the guys I know are, are much more road dog than I am. Uh, and so, you know, and I love... Traveling is, is not an issue as long as you're, for me, as long as I'm getting paid something, you know. Absolutely. That, as long as it's worth it. Uh, but uh, I'd like to do more. So speaking of more and local, what are some of your uh, favorite venues to play here in KC? Um, there's several right now. It's kind of new places popping up. Um, the Blue Room... Uh, take five coffee bar out in South Leewood. It's right at the top of the list. I love that place. Blue Room is great because it's you know down at the museum and it's in like a showcase room. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, a new place called the uh, Green Lady Lounge at 18th and Grand. That's really that reminds me a lot of uh, the Green Mill in Chicago. It's kind of uh, real classy, but but warm and earthy at the same time. Kind of a you know dark and elegant place. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's going to be even cooler when they get their downstairs room finished. They're going to have the bands downstairs eventually. Um, those are probably uh, three of my favorite places. There are other places I play that I very much enjoy the majestic uh restaurant uh this new place in waldo 
called Louis Wine Dive. It's very promising. I played there a couple of times and had a good time. So, sure. you know, it's always in flux and it's always, uh, there's some outdoor gigs that I really enjoy coming up in the, this summer. Sure. That we do every year. So, Cool. Let me ask you this. It seems like there's a resurgence of the local Kansas City jazz scene. Absolutely is. How do you feel about it? Tell me Tell me what's going on. Okay. That's an excellent question. Because uh, usually the question I get is, is jazz dead? Which is like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Open your eyes. That's right. Uh, uh, there is, uh, there's a couple of things that have happened... And there's like, as far as the jazz scene in Kansas City, as I see it, there's three or four sort of factions, uh, one which was always there, which is, you know, the older established players that are still playing. Um, then you have, with uh, Bobby Watson over at uh, UMKC, he, uh, you know, they rec- he's been so great at recruiting talent there. And a lot of the ghost guys stay here, and they they, they work. Um, and so there's this group of ex UMKC players who are just killer. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I could name a few, and I and I'm afraid to do that because I might I'm gonna leave the guys out. <laughs> sure. Guys like Herman Mahari, who's one of my ex students, Clint Ashlock, another ex student, uh, Steve Lambert, Ben Leifer. Brian Stever, Ryan Lee, on and on and on. These guys are out there tearing it up. Yeah. And then the other, and they weren't there before, so, you know, and they're not really, I mean, they're not really taking gigs away from other people. They're yeah. re- they're creating their own work. Sure. For the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other faction is um, this group of guys who are, uh, play at the record bar and play at, at Grunauer and places like that. Uh, basically, I'm talking about Jeff Harshbarger and the different groups that he has. And there's Brad Cox with the uh, People's Liberation Big Band, which I sub in sometimes. And there's Mark Sutherland, who does a lot of uh, not just music, but performance uh, art, you know. And those guys are connected with not just the musical community, but but the dance and art community in town. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole other, you know, um, thing. And so you got these three things, these three factions or three kind of, uh, not really cliques, but just, you know, groups of people doing their thing. And sometimes they overlap. Yeah. And uh, so they're, you know, it's, and again, they're creating their own work. Mm-hmm. They're not really taking work away from other people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the record bar has become a place where you can go at least two Sundays uh, a month, sometimes more, where you can see really good uh, new jazz, you know, new stuff. Sure. Uh, and uh, so that appeals to another uh, group of people as well, as far as listeners go. You know, people that wouldn't want to go see necessarily... Uh, hear a band that just plays bebop they they but they would go hear those guys because what they play is is 
some ways more diverse, you know. They're sure. not, you're not afraid to try things or, or, or uh, pull in influences from everywhere musically. So it's quite stimulating. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. So talk to me about some of your jazz heroes. Okay. Um, well, I had mentioned three of them, and then my big three as far as trumpet players would be uh, Clifford Brown, Miles Davis, and Freddie Hubbard. Those are... Uh, and then there's, gosh, trumpet player-wise, there's hundreds of people that I've been influenced by, but those are the big ones. Sure. Um, and also just uh, people like, uh, of course, John Coltrane, um, Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, uh, Wayne Shorter. Um, as far as writers go, my two favorite uh, jazz Writers would be Wayne Shorter and Chikoria. I've had a lot of their stuff in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun, fun stuff to play and, and challenging. Um, let's see. Gosh, there's a lot of them. Um, Wes Montgomery mm-hmm. on guitar. You know, I think he was huge. Um, man. It's pretty fast. <laughs> I don't know where to draw the line, you know. Some of the there were the guys that are playing now. I mean, cast like uh, Chris Potter and and uh, Dave Douglas and and Nicholas Payton. Um, you know, uh, drummers like Alvin Jones and Jack Deschanette and oh, there's there's so many younger guys out there now. Um, Brian Blade and. Bill Stewart. I mean, I, I really uh, my heroes, if you if you will, cross boundaries as far as instruments go. I mean, a lot of my heroes are not trumpet players. So. Sure. Well, let me up the ante just a little bit here with the next question. Okay. If you could go back in time and meet one musician, who would it be and why? silence <laughs> ah, that's a tough one um, hmm. wow um, um, probably enough it wouldn't it wouldn't be a jazz player it'd probably be a classical composer or player um, you know, I don't know, maybe somebody like Stravinsky. Interesting. You know, because, I mean, he, from what I've read, I mean, he's just a really eccentric, interesting person to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then he broke so many boundaries with his music. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he was one of the first people that came to mind. So, I, I mean, that's it's like a Rorschach test, right? Yeah. <laughs> what do you see in this picture? That's right. <laughs> the first thing that comes to your mind. That's right. <laughs> Is it a glass or two faces? <laughs> yeah, right. Or it's just a, a two dogs doing you know what, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's let's switch tracks here and go to an easier one. Talk to me about your accomplishments over the years and what those mean to you. Oh. <sighs> 
my main accomplishment is just I'm still here playing music that I love to play. I don't really have a lot of accolades. You know, I've, I've got a few. I mean, I've, you know, been voted best best uh, trumpet player or best band leader or best band or whatever uh, a few times in the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, I had some awards when I was in school when I was younger, but I don't know, accolades, I don't know, I just think as long as people keep asking me to play with them or as long as I can still put together uh, great bands and, and have people show up and, and enjoy the music and show their appreciation, I mean, that's for me the main accolade. Cool. You know, pretty pretty basic. Very cool. I'll tell you what, so if you could look back on your life of, of playing and everything that you've done up to this point, is there anything that you would go back and do differently? <laughs> Kidding me? <laughs> There's a couple of women I'd like to look up. Right, there you go. <laughs> you <know? laughs> See, that's what I'm looking for is the honesty. <laughs> what a dumbass. Could have been with her or her. Yeah. You blew it. <laughs> There's, there's that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I suppose I probably would have tried to really uh, a lot harder, uh, maybe to finish school. Mm-hmm. I didn't finish school. I, I got disillusioned and I ran into some people where I was going to school that uh, really turned me off. Mm-hmm. And um, so. Uh, maybe that, you know, uh, probably a couple more years of school and, and I would have a, at least have a degree. Uh, but then, having, if I would have done that, I would have missed out on, you know, some things that I, that really helped me later on. You know, I got m- most of my education, as far as jazz goes, uh, on my own or on the street or uh, from individuals, not, not at school. Uh, sure. There was a, a guy, well, there still is. Uh, he's retired. John Elliott was, is his name, who was the jazz guru here in town who taught private jazz theory and improvisation lessons to everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone uh, over the age of, say, yeah, maybe 40 mm-hmm. uh, has taken from John Elliott. Sure. He's around town. And, uh, I mean, he was he was the gatekeeper of of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where I learned. You know, he set me up for the rest of my life to teach yourself, basically, and that's what I think a good teacher does. Is sure, a good teacher teaches the student to teach themselves because you're not they're only with you an hour or a half hour a week. Yeah, the rest of the time they're on their own. You got to you know, and um, but yeah, probably. A couple more years of school, and I could have uh, had that and had some other uh, job opportunities, possibly. But I really, I'm doing what I want to do. Sure. I, I don't really want to be a full-time teacher. Right. Uh, I'm adjunct, and I teach privately here at home, and, and most of my interest is in performance. So I didn't really miss out on that much. Sure. 
So other than gigging locally, do you have any plans for albums or any other big things down the road? That, yeah, uh, uh, I've, I've always got plans for albums. <laughs> Whether or not I follow through or not is another thing. Uh, my next, um, uh, what I hope to do uh, next is uh, record my new group, Parallax. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's what I'm trying to get together. Uh, waiting for a couple of things to fall into place, but uh, that would be the next project. Um, mm, yeah, that's it. Cool. So let me ask you, let me ask you a question here. I'm going to kind of downshift a little bit, or maybe upshift here. Okay. What was it like to give your autograph out for the first time? said what 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 was the last album or song you listened to um literally yes um i was just listening to uh the uh, new cd of ulysses owens jr um he is the drummer that plays with christian mcbride and i um uh, just did a concert at the folly theater a few weeks ago with uh, a group that came in from New York, uh, was led by Matt Rabicki, the bass player, um, and the piano player was Christian Sands, who is Christian McBride's piano player, and the drummer was um, uh, Ulysses Owens Jr. also in Christian's band. Uh, the Folly uh, picks one more obscure artist to bring in every year for mm -hmm. one concert of their series. Yeah. And they called me up and uh, asked if I would play on some tunes, and they said, of course, and they asked me to recommend a, a sax player, and so Matt Otto joined us and got to do that, and that was a real, uh, that was a real exciting and fun gig to do. And uh, so uh, I got his CD, and I've been listening to that. Uh, uh, he's um, a great drummer, and uh, he's got some pretty heavy cats on here. One of my favorite trumpet players, previously mentioned, uh, Nicholas Payton is on there. Cool. Um, let's see, uh, uh, Jaleel Shaw on sax, uh, Michael Dees on... Uh, <clears throat> on uh, trombone and then Christian McBride on bass, Christian Sands on piano. Christian Sands is this 23 year old pianist who plays like a 50 year old. Wow. He's, he's got a, <laughs> to say the least, a bright future. 
Yeah. Ahead of him. Super. And all these cats were really nice, too. That's cool. They, they didn't bring their any kind of uh, New York attitude or anything. They were just nice people, and it was a real pleasure to play with them. That always sweetens the deal, I'm sure. Yeah. For well, sure. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I've, I've come to this point, we've come to the end, and I want to ask you one final question, okay. and I, I do this in the name of modern technology and brevity. Okay. So we're going to condense your life down to one sentence. In the length of a tweet, tell me who Stan is. Wow. Um, hmm. uh, Stan Kessler... like I'm an epitaph on my tombstone, right? <laughs> well, it's a little longer than that. <laughs> a little longer than that. Uh, let's see. I um, tried to make the world a better place through music um, and through relationships with people. Um, The music that I played uh, had emotional content that that uh, translated to uh, people at a heart level, mm-hmm. and um, hopefully, everyone who experienced my music on a given night walked away feeling better than they felt when they got there. Well said. Well, cool, Stan. Stay cool, man. Thanks a lot, and take it easy. Appreciate it. See you later. Yeah. Thanks for listening and tuning in to this Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in the Kansas City area and around the country making the jazz craft soar. And thanks to Stanton for his time and wisdom. If you want to hear some more interviews, you can go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit Neon Jazz's web home at theneonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.